Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farrakh. When I complain, it's because I am on the throne of my life. And here's what comes packaged with that. Everything revolves around me. I am all important. There's this estimation of my self-importance. I'm entitled. You have no right to talk to me like that. You have no right to treat me like that. Don't you know who I am? Oh, you're I am now. Oh, see where I'm going with that, don't you? You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Philippians. Each and every one of us has complained about something in our lives. What we probably don't realize during our complaining is that we're essentially saying things aren't as they should be according to us. In today's message, Pastor J.D. warns us of the egocentric attitude that our complaints often harbor and fester within us. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Philippians chapter 2 as he continues his message, Why We Complain. God's judgment on that generation of Israelites because complaining had spread throughout all of the camps of the Israelites, they would now, because of that, all die in the wilderness. And this is exactly what now Paul says to the Corinthians. Listen, verse 5, But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. God declared and pronounced a judgment on them for one year for every day that they were in the land, spying out the land, bringing back this bad report, false report, and starting to speak against God, complaining, murmuring, grumbling, and it spread throughout all of the Israelites. And God said, every single one of you, You're going to die in this wilderness, and for one day, I'm going to make you wander in the wilderness for one year, for a total of 40 years. It was never God's original intention to have them take 40 years. You know that, I was thinking, if my memory serves me correctly, one commentator estimated that it would have only taken them about 11 days to get from Egypt to the promise. 11 days Not only would it take them 40 years, but that generation, none, save their children who they were complaining about. God, what what about our children? Oh, what about your children? They're going to enter the promised land. You're not. Your body's going to be scattered in the wilderness. How about that? I mean, it wasn't probably like that. Because of your complaining and your murmuring and your grumbling. Two of those 12 spies. Two. Think about that. Do the math. (laughs) From all of those Israelites in that generation, only two, along with their children, their young children, who would grow up during those 40 years, because this happened early on in the Exodus, Yahshua, Joshua, and Caleb. Caleb. 
be the only two. Why? Because they came back with a good report, a true report. And they even came against and confronted the ones who were complaining against God. And God said, those are the two that are only two that are going to enter the promised land. All because of complaining. Now, Paul goes on to say, verse 6, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, listen very carefully, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain, complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. You know what he's referring to? He's referring to this one account that actually Jesus himself refers to in the Gospel of John. It's this one time when the Israelites were complaining and God sent these serpents to bite them and kill them. That's what he's referring to because of their complaining. Complaining. And isn't it interesting, by the way, as we just read in 1 Corinthians 10, that complaining is included in the same list as lust, idolatry, sexual immorality. Are you kidding me? Does complaining rise to the level of sin such as that? Absolutely it does. Did you know that Jesus refers to the Israelites complaining and the serpents killing them in the context of the most well-known and famous verse in all of the Bible. You know it well, John 3.16, right? How about John 3.13? Let's start there. Let me read. No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And, verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, interesting. If you want, I would encourage you to do so. Turn with me to the book of Numbers. This is one of the books in the Bible that probably gets the worst press. The book of Numbers. Could there be a more boring book 
than the book of Numbers. For those of you who are with us on Thursday night in our study through the Old Testament, was not the book of Numbers one of the most fascinating studies in all the Bible? Fascinating book. Numbers 21, let me read beginning in verse 4. Then they, speaking of the Israelites, journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. And you'll forgive me for the way I read this. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Time and time again, they're complaining about God taking them. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And they, apparently they had selective memory. Oh, the food we ate. You were slaves. Yeah, but we had leeks and onions. And now we have to depend on God to provide very delicious, miraculous manna. They had onions in Egypt. They wanted to go back to Egypt. So they spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Ooh. <laughs> you didn't just really say that, did you? Oh, yes, they did. Worthless bread? You know what they were talking about, right? The manna. Worthless? Oh, by the way, Manna is also a type of the person of Jesus Christ. Worthless? So, verse 6, what's the Lord's response to their complaining? He sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. Interesting, He wouldn't take away the serpents, but He would provide a way because of the serpents. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. This was to be a bronze serpent. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. What? Let me see if I got this straight. So Moses is going to take bronze, and he's going to make a serpent out of this bronze, and he's going to put it up on a pole, and all I have to do is look at that bronze serpent on that pole, and I will be healed and saved from the serpent. Yeah. <laughs> now that's, that's too good to be true. That's too simple. No, that's how to be saved. You know why? Because the pole was in the shape of a cross. The pole pointed to the cross. Bronze is the metal of judgment. And the serpent, a picture of sin. 
Jesus became sin for us, took the judgment of God upon himself instead of us, and was lifted up as Moses lifted the serpent on the pole. He was lifted up, the Son of Man was lifted up, put on that cross, crucified on that cross, and all who would look to Him, put their faith in Him, would be saved from the serpent of sin. Do you see how that works? And don't you find it interesting that all of this came about because the Israelites complained? By the way, You know our modern day medical symbol, though it's been altered, (laughs) that's where it came from. The serpent, healing, medicine, the serpent on the pole. By the way, it's not a straight pole. How's a serpent going to hang on a pole unless there's the cross on that pole? That's where the serpent hung. And by the way, we have throughout the Old Testament types of the cross before a Roman form of crucifixion had ever been invented that would point to the cross. And this is such a case here. Let me uh, turn a corner and answer this question of why we complain, and more importantly, How do we stop complaining? Especially those of us, and you know who you are. I should probably say we know who we are. (laughs) I'll include myself in that. Those of us who are given over to it, prone to it. Why do we do it, and how do we stop doing it? I hope this isn't an oversimplification, but here's what the Lord ministered to me. And I speak concerning my own life in this area. When I complain, it's because I am on the throne of my life. And here's what comes packaged with that. Everything revolves around me. I am all important. There's this estimation of my self-importance. I'm entitled. You have no right to talk to me like that. You have no right to treat me like that. Don't you know who I am? Oh, you're I am now. Oh, see where I'm going with that, don't you? It's this notion that I deserve, you deserve, yeah. I don't deserve to be treated like that. I deserve to have this. I deserve to have that. That's why, that's why I complain. Because my rights have been violated. When I'm at that stoplight and I'm complaining in Jesus' name, (laughs) I do so because I have postured myself as being more important than anybody else who's not at that light. Even if they were, it's the same reason why I complain when somebody cuts me off in traffic. Because what I'm saying is, my time is more important than you are, yours is. And where I have to go is more important than where you have to go. See, I'm on the throne. That's why we complain. And that's how 
to stop complaining. What do you mean? Okay. I need to get off my throne and surrender it to the one who should take his rightful place on that throne, and that's Jesus. And notice what happens when you do. When you die to self, pick up your cross, and follow Him, here's what happens. Like Job, you can say, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. We were having this conversation during Christmas. My sister was here from California, and we were talking over the dinner table. And I made a comment, and I didn't think about it until my sister drew my attention to it. I made this comment. I said, God owes me nothing. God owes me nothing. Perhaps you've heard it said, if God never did another thing for me, other than what Jesus did for me, (laughs) let let me see if I got this straight. So God so loved me that He sent His only begotten Son to die for me on that pole, so I could have everlasting life, live forever. And what were you complaining about again? A stoplight? I'm yelling at myself. I, I do that, you know, I talk to myself and pray for me. But <laughs> I need to, and this is the common denominator, by the way. You think about the Apostle Paul. If there was ever somebody who had a right to complain about everything he went through, I'm shipwrecked again. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? I'm getting beaten again. He never complained. He never spoke against God. And the many like him, the many men and women. I think about Esther and the plight of her people. She would say, if I perish, you know what? I perish. Fine. Fine. If this is how it ends, this is how it ends. God owes me nothing. God already did everything. Let me just close with a personal example in my own life of how I was able to end I'm still able to overcome the sin of complaining. I have to remember that it's not what has been done to me, it's what Jesus did for me that changes the entire complexion of any situation in which I find myself complaining. Someone's wronged you, okay. But Jesus died for you. Our problem is we we have that word but in the wrong place. 
I know that the Lord provides, but here comes the complaining. I got bills that are stacked up this high. The butt's in the wrong place. Let's turn that around. I've got bills that are stacked up this high. I don't know how I'm going to pay them, but the Lord will always provide. You see how that works? It's that textbook case of getting my eyes off of myself and putting my eyes on Jesus. And that changes everything. You've heard that quip, and I'll end with this one last thing. This will be the last, last thing. You've heard it said that if your eyes are on yourself, you're depressed. This is why looking within yourself, don't do that. Because what you're going to find is very depressing. When eyes are on self, you're depressed. When eyes are on others, you're distressed. But when your eyes are on Jesus, you're blessed, blessed. I was thinking the other day, okay, this will be the last, last thing. And I was thanking, because the word thank comes from the word think, by the way. And I was just thinking about how blessed am I. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but... What about? No, 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 no. The butt's in the wrong place. Yeah, that's happening over here. This is a struggle over there. This is a trial over here. This is a difficulty over there. But I am so blessed. I am so loved. Jesus died for me and paid in full for all of my sins. So I look to Him, the one lifted up, who took my sin upon Himself on that cross and the judgment with it, so that now I have this free gift of everlasting life. Like Paul said, the sufferings, the difficulties, the struggles, the pain of this life, and this life is painful not even worthy to be compared with the glory that awaits. The first 10 billion years, though there'll never be a measurement of years in heaven, the first 10 billion years are going to be worth the 70 or 80 years of pain and suffering here in this life. And that's not even the beginning of eternity. There's a lot to learn from this joyful New Testament book, Philippians. And we're so glad you've joined us to walk through it all with Pastor J.D. Farag on In Spirit and Truth. Philippians isn't just about the Apostle Paul's rejoicing, though. There are many references to this emotion. This book is also honest about the difficulties that followers of Christ will face. People will oppose the truth of the gospel and you may face persecution from non-believers. But you can rest assured that Jesus knows, and He sees, and He can change lives anyway. You can be glad and rejoice in the Lord just as Paul did. If you'd like to listen to more Pastor J.D.'s teachings on this book, you'll find them on our website, 
Simply visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on Listen. You can even take these messages with you on the go with our mobile app. Find a link to our app on our website or search for In Spirit and Truth in your app store. This will provide you with hours of insight into the Bible, helpful links, and access to the latest editions of Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. takes a critical look at the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to the prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. These messages are new each weekend and will help you put world events into an eternal perspective. You can access these updates through our website. Again, that address is in spiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen to God's Word today and join us next time right here on In Spirit and Truth. truth, truth.